little thing called murder. Oh. And welcome to a little thing called murder. Murder. <laughs> I'm Megan and I'm Jaden. How are we feeling today? <laughs> Real shitty. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this weekend Literally yesterday. Aiden had a little shindig at her house. Yeah, yesterday. And we drank way too much tequila. Yes. Just even saying the word tequila right now. Makes me want to die. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. But But, hey, it was worth it. It was fun. Yeah. I'm glad you had fun. And no one threw up. So there's no no one threw up to have to clean up today. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (sighs) (laughs) can you tell that we're super excited to record this right now (laughs) yes we're like oh god because we were gonna record in person yesterday like before everyone came over we were gonna record like four different times this week yep and we just kept putting it off yeah and right now it's a little too late to put it off any further Because we originally put it off because we were like, oh, we can do it together on Saturday. Yeah. But then, naturally, we didn't have time. So. We almost died going to Walmart. So. We did. Go ahead. You have to tell that story. <laughs> okay, so I've got the gang all in my car. <laughs> and Jaden is so professionally giving me directions to Walmart. <laughs> literally telling me to turn after I pass the table. <laughs> It's because Tyler was like, oh, I asked like Tyler, like, oh, wait, is this correct? And he'd be like, well, you're sitting in the front seat, Jaden. Like, <laughs> and I'd be like, guys, I need to know which way to turn. <laughs> so anyway, had to like dodge over a couple lanes of traffic once or twice. But um, we get to Walmart because we had mm-hmm. to pick up like some food for this little shindig. Mm-hmm. And... I turn into the parking lot, into, like, one of the aisles or whatever that's called, and there's a car sitting there. I was, like, naturally thinking, oh, this person's going to take this spot that's literally open. Yes. She's sitting there for, like, it was honestly, like, a whole 30 seconds, like, one Mississippi to not, like, you know. Anyway. (laughs) I would even say it was longer, because I was like, what the fuck? Are they going to move? And then... This car goes into the spot that's open right there that we thought that she was going to go into. Yeah. And she starts backing up. And I'm like, she's, she sees me. Like, my car is bright orange. Like, she's going to see me. And she didn't stop. So then I went to put my car in reverse at the same time. Jaden lays on the horn. And we're like, what the fuck? Needless to say, it was a very traumatic experience. Oh, my God. Uh, my heart... Well, uh, my... I was like, I can't even find the words. Yeah, that driver was like chugging the dumb bitch juice, as Tyler likes to say. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It was one of those moments where your heart drops to your stomach and you're like. (gasps) And I was literally saying how my car is literally my child. Like, I love my car. Literally, like, right before we turned into Walmart. And, like, this bitch almost, like backed up into me honestly it probably would have been my fault uh, yeah I don't know oh my god I was that was that was a moment was. hey but at least it was an adventure yeah making mems making it mems. wasn't a dull moment <laughs> so all right are you first this week or I am, I? am. okay you are yep I'm excited. I don't know anything about it. Also, for the record, that was the shortest intro we have ever That honestly done. was. And that's how you know that we're tired as fuck. <laughs> yes. We're like one story, done into it. Yeah, okay. right? <laughs> All right. So mine is a lovely. Well, I mean, it's not lovely, but, you know, <laughs> lovely story courtesy of Forensic Files. Ooh, yes. we love a good Forensic Files. Um, I'll cut this out, but I meant to look up the fucking date. Oh, no, no, I have the date in it later. 
We're all good. <laughs> Maybe. You should. No, I haven't. I'm just saying. Oh. I might say the date earlier. Even though I say later. Hold on. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, it's April of 1989, and after working midnight shift, Robert Sims returned home and found his wife unconscious on the kitchen floor. But to his relief, like, the t- their two-year-old son, Randy, was asleep, undisturbed, in an upstairs bedroom. But their six-week-old daughter, Heather, was missing. When the wife, Paula Sims, regained consciousness, she was the only victim to the crime. So Robert and Paula Sims had recently moved into their farm home in the St. Louis suburb of Alton, Illinois. Neighbors described the Sims as a quiet and private couple who spent most of their free time with their children. You know, totally normal, right? Yeah. A journalist, Charles Bosworth, he was one of the people interviewed for this. He said they really seem to be living the American dream. And that was one of the things that was so intriguing about the story. So to have this kind of violence and tragedy on this, like, all-American couple was really what gripped this journalist well yeah that's like a whole lot of stories how they get big is like the all-american family like john benet ramsey like Mm -hmm. how their story got so big because it's like how does this happen to such a tight-knit family yeah exactly police were called to the sims home on april 19th 1989 and they heard details of an unusual crime paula said she was taking out the trash just after 10 p.m when a masked man armed with a gun forced her back inside the house and he knocked her unconscious with a blow to the back of her head. And that was the last thing she remembered before, like, coming to when her husband found her on the floor 45 minutes later. So their infant daughter, Heather, was missing, but the area around the bassinet was undisturbed and police could find no foreign fingerprints or footprints or any valuables missing. Like, everything was still there. So it The wasn't parents like, did it. It wasn't like a burglary. Because <laughs> <laughs> then, why? Right? Yeah. Um, that's just my um, pre-synopsis of what I think it is before hearing any details. Okay. <laughs> my initial thought. So, investigator Sergeant Tony Ventimiglia. Yep. Sergeant um, V. <laughs> said they, stay, they stayed there, like the police, stayed okay. there, like, for what seemed like forever. He said it had to have been, like, a good half day. That he looked everywhere, every conceivable place where that baby might have been. He said that they looked. So... They looked, even though they assumed the worst. So people, the police also searched the bottom of the missing, the bottom of the Mississippi River near the Sims home. Okay. Because they were like, she could be dead. So this is like a spot where someone could have thrown her. How old was the baby? I want to say six weeks. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, another investigator, Captain Rick McCain, said that they questioned Mr. and Mrs. Sims, and they were like, hey, do you have any enemies that for whatever reason might want to steal your baby in order to, like, punish you in some way? And they were pretty adamant that they didn't have anybody that they could think of that would do that. Yeah. So, a neighbor reported seeing a suspicious character walking near the Sims' home. And another informant saw an individual burying something that night behind a nearby factory. But all of these leads were dead ends. And the police had little to go on and no motive. Because seldom does anybody take a baby just to be taking it. That's what what I'm saying is, like, there's nothing at the mm -hmm. crime scene. Like, nothing was stolen. 
there wasn't any evidence of like fingerprints like someone mm-hmm. being there i mean they could have worn gloves though true that that's, would for yeah, the that, no, that's true but there wasn't a ransom demand or like a ransom note at all um and they found no evidence that there was any extramarital problem any involvement of a boyfriend who might suspect he's the real father of the child and he wanted his kid they couldn't find anything that would explain why someone would target the sims for a kidnapping so four days later charles saunders was fishing on the missouri side of the mississippi river around noon as saunders was about to leave he stopped to empty trash into a barrel but inside he noticed this large black garbage bag and because of its size, it looks suspicious. I fucking guess. Like, yeah. So, have you ever pause real quick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever like just been dri- driving on the road and you see like bags on the side and you're like, what could be in those? Yes. Because I I do that all the time. Yeah, because I like see I've seen something like in the past that it's like don't run over like bags on the side of the road because people put like puppies and kittens in them. <gasps> No, right? Fucking right. I hate people. I hate, I hate people them. so much. Humans are the fucking worst. They really are. <laughs> we really are as a species. Mm-hmm. He looked inside the bag and he discovered the well-preserved remains of a dead baby girl. <gasps> yeah. Could you imagine? No, I couldn't even imagine. I would have little literal nightmares for the rest of my fucking life. I would need severe therapy. Severe therapy. How could you do that? Like, especially infants. Like, they are so... Like, pure. Pure. Mm-hmm. And, like, innocent. Innocent. They can't do anything. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I still think it's the parents. So, police obviously, like, swarmed this parking lot where she was found. And she was lying on her back, face up, with her head and shoulder to one side. And she still looked rather pink. And it appeared, if you looked at her, like, at first you would just think she was asleep. But, in fact, she was dead. Yeah. The mom had hand and footprints from Heather that were taken at the hospital right after she was born and they compared those prints to the baby that they found Mm -hmm. and so the body was positively identified as Heather Lee Sims (sighs) yeah so the medical examiner Dr. Mary Case performed the autopsy and one of the first things she noticed were three small vertical cuts on the inside of the baby's lip. And so the doctor said, obviously, this is not an example of a sudden infant death, which is would be labeled as a natural death. It's not a death by accident. It's not a death by suicide. So it falls under the category of homicidal death. And obviously. So, yeah. Well, because there's like five or something categories that they have to put it in. So. But like for infants... I don't think suicide. No, exactly. But she was like, it's obviously not this. It doesn't fall into this category. So when she did the examination, there's obviously no gunshot wound, no stab wound. There's no battery. But the inner lip showed changes that she associated with someone placing their hand over the nose and mouth and causing suffocation. So that's how the medical examiner said she died. So when death occurs, blood settles in parts of the body closest to the ground. And this is called postmortem lividity. And yes. it is usually dark red or purple in color. It essentially looks like a big bruise. Yes. So Heather's face showed signs of lividity, but it was cherry red in color. So this told the doctor that the body had been placed in a freezer during the time lividity occurs, so 8 to 12 hours after death. And there was another clue that the body had been frozen. The external appearance was that there was no decomposition. 
But when the doctor looked internally, and she even had to look microscopically at the internal organs to see this, but there was early decomposition beginning, but it was a little bit more advanced than externally. So she, that's what like gave her another clue that yes, she was probably placed in a freezer. So the doctor concluded that Heather Sims had been suffocated, placed in a freezer face down, then placed in the trash bin face up, either the night before or the morning that the body was discovered. This is so frustrating. This is a six month old or six, six week. week old baby. Yeah. Oh my God. Assistant State's Attorney Don Weber said he was keeping a close eye on the case because and there was no evidence linking Paula or Robert Sims to the crime but Weber decided to take a closer look at their story because something that Robert Sims told the FBI disturbed him so he said that the statement that Robert made to the FBI during the time between when Heather was reported missing and the time she was found was that they had so, meaning Robert and Paula, had mm-hmm. the longest lasting and best sex that they'd ever had. Yeah. And he was like, that's a pretty startling statement because why the fuck would you share that info? Like, one, it's not vital to the investigation. And two, like, it makes you look guilty as fuck. Yeah. Your infant is missing and yeah. all you can think about is getting it on with your wife. Yeah. What? Yeah. And how sick. Like, you were saying this was the best sex, but your baby daughter, you have no idea where the fuck she is. Like, okay. No, he knew exactly where she was. But yeah, so one of the investigators was like, that was such a startling statement. He was like, I don't believe other people involved in the case could really think that it, that would be a normal response after your baby was kidnapped, like no. we just said. Yeah. Oh my God, I'd be worried sick. Yeah. And so when authorities looked into the couple's past, they found an alarming coincidence. Oh, God, what? So at Heather Sims' funeral, which is the baby's name, if you don't remember, Robert and Paula Sims looked every bit the grieving parents to the outside world. But a background check revealed the Sims had experienced another kidnapping three years earlier while living in another town. The Sims' first daughter, Lorelai, had also been kidnapped. And it was the same scenario. Robert was at work, and Paula said a masked intruder confronted her in the house and kidnapped her baby. A few weeks later, the infant, so Lorelai's skeletal remains, were found scattered in a field behind the Sims' home. And although authorities had their suspicions at the time, they could find no evidence linking Robert or Paul Sims to Lorelai's murder. But the remains appeared to have been moved by some type of animal. Sheriff Frank hmm, Yacomb of Jersey County, Illinois, which I would really appreciate if people had simpler names. That was super, like, phonetically easy to pronounce. That would be be great. Um... So he said the quality of the remains were of such that the investigation could not be put together as far as making a murder case because, like, animals had gone to it. And because, I guess, the decomposition was so severe because it was skeletal remains, not, like, like, a fresh body. Yeah. Um, The Sims themselves became even stronger suspects after that. And in the sheriff's opinion, they... Got away with murder. Yeah. But I'd say in, they did. Right? But in the case of Heather's abduction, there was something about Paula's head injury that didn't sound right to prosecutor Don Weber. So Weber paid a visit to the medical examiner, Dr. Mary Case. She had a unique background because she was not only the pathologist who performed Heather Sims' autopsy. She was also a board-certified neuropathologist which is an expert in the study of the brain and nervous system. So Paula says that she saw the guy outside and that the guy made her come inside and then gave her instructions once they were inside. So once they were inside, he hit her 
And Paula, when she was, like, telling this story to investigators, she gestured with, like, a karate chop on the back of her neck. And that knocked her out. And she was out for about 45 minutes. And that she remembered getting hit. So he said, he asked the doctor, is that possible? And he was like, I remember the doctor thought about it very carefully. And she sort of leaned back in her chair and was like, now that's impossible. So when an individual is hit hard enough to cause unconsciousness, the soft brain tissue collides with the hard inner surface of the cranium, creating a brain injury that disrupts the electrical activity in the outer areas of the brain where memories are stored. And it's this disruption which prevents memory from forming, not only of the traumatic event, but for several minutes preceding the traumatic event. So this explains why individuals who are knocked unconscious in automobile accidents, for example, remember very little about the accident or the events leading up to the accident. So when police learned about this neurologic inconsistency, they looked for some connection between Paula Sims and the location where the body was discovered. Police found some three-dimensional shoe impressions in the dirt a few feet away from the trash trash can. They appeared to be from an athletic shoe, but they did not match any of the shoes found in the Sims' home. Next, police sent the, when that didn't pan out, they sent the black garbage bag, which had contained Heather's body, to the FBI laboratory in Washington, D.C. And forensic examiner David Attenberger had little to work with since there were no fingerprints, hairs or fibers found on the bag the baby was found in a black garbage bag and the bag itself was made by polytech corporation which is out of minneapolis and kmart was the retailer of the bags and they were sold under the brand name of curbside however more than one million of these curbside bags were made for kmart each and every day so, Attenberger compared the edges of the bag containing Heather Sims' body to the first unused garbage bag from the Sims' kitchen. But the stretching that occurs when the bags are pulled apart, like when you're taking them out of the box, yeah, made matching the ends impossible. But the bag Heather Sims was in did have a signature characteristic. So, here is some super lovely information. <laughs> Which doesn't, it seems super boring, but it's pretty vital. Okay. Okay. So trash bags are made from large sheets of melted plastic. And a blade makes the perforations so that the bags can be ripped from the end of the roll. And at the same time that's happening, a heat seal melts the bottom of the bag shut. So the heat seal, as they found out from the manufacturer, as the plastic traveled beneath and through the heat seal debris collects under it and so the more debris that's collected on there the more unique identifying characteristics can be found so they found incomplete melting of the heat seal so and this incomplete melting caused a small opening in the bottom of heather sims bag debris and debris on the heat seal as well So this produced a small puncture hole in the bag. And when Attenberger analyzed the bags found in the Sims kitchen, he found the same fucking puncture hole in the same fucking location. He found the same small opening in the bottom of the bags caused by debris on the heat seal. So the last step was to analyze the dye lines in the garbage bags. When Paula brought the little girls home from the hospital, She was essentially ousted from the marital bedroom. So in the first case, her and Lorelai slept in the basement, which is where the family room was like a walkout basement. And only after Lorelai's death did Paula sleep upstairs again with her husband. Wait, was this something that her husband was like, you can't sleep up here? Kind of, yeah. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. A year after Lorelai's death, Paul ga- Paula gave birth to a son, Randy. And in 1989, after moving to Alden, Illinois, 
The Sims had another baby, this time a daughter, Heather. And in the hospital, Paula reportedly told her roommate that she didn't want another daughter, that she and Robert preferred boys. One of the investigators said the evidence clearly suggested that boys were fine, but little girls were not welcome. And they told they were told repeatedly by witnesses that Robert adored the little boy and was just completely uninterested in the little girls, even in the hospital right after their births. Oh my god. When Paula brought Heather home, they had, again, their separate sleeping arrangements started again, and Paula and Heather were sleeping in the living room, and Robert and the two-year-old Randy were sleeping upstairs. So, Weber, the prosecutor, said in one of the comments that Paula made to one of her friends was that the sleeping arrangements are going to have to stop, or I'm going to have to do something. Like, what the fuck? What was the point of these sleeping arrangements? I don't understand. I don't know. I guess, like... Is it just like he didn't want to deal with an infant? Well, it was only the girls. Because he had, he adored Randy. Yeah. I don't know. Fucking. Sexist fuck. Seriously. So, based on the garbage bag analysis and the inconsistencies with her head injury story, Paula Sims was arrested and charged with murder. So, this is how investigators say they what they think happened. So... On Saturday night, April 29th, 1989, while Robert was working the night shift at the paper plant, prosecutors believe that Paula suffocated her daughter, Heather. She placed the body in a garbage bag from the kitchen, and she probably wore gloves since no fingerprints were found on the bag. After the murder, Paula drove across town to her parents' home, where she placed Heather's body in her parents' freezer. Paula's parents were away that week on vacation. So, no one's home. So Paula returned home in enough time to feign unconsciousness before her husband returned from work. The next day, when Paula's parents heard about the kidnapping, they decided to end their vacation early and return home immediately. So this obviously required a change in Paula's plan. So Paula now had to go back to her parents' home and remove Heather's body before they returned. So with nowhere else to go, prosecutors believe Paula brought Heather's body back home, placing it in her own basement freezer. And by this time, police had concluded their search of the Sims' home, so it was kind of safe. No one was coming back to check again. So Paula needed to get rid of the body, though, once and for all. So she made the two-mile drive over the Mississippi River across the Lewis and Clark Bridge into a parking area and left a frozen body in a trash can where it was discovered by a fisherman a short time later. But still, I don't understand why the fisherman looked in the trash and was like, oh, this looks too big, and then opened the trash can, um, trash bag. Like, I wouldn't have done that. So like, Was it thought... in the trash, or was it on the ground? No, it was in the trash can. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that either. I wouldn't yeah. have thought about it. Right? So, I mean, like, thank God he's the one that looked there and not me. Maybe it was shaped weird but like if i'm just throwing away a bag of trash like what's the normal shape you know well what if like when she put the baby in the trash bag she like took out the air of it that could be it because so like i do that when i take out the trash i'll like push down so like it fits in the the trash True. But like there, there must have been something that caught caught his attention. Had to have been. Unless he's like a trash bag expert and he's like, I look in these trash cans all the time and I've never seen it look like that. Well, there's people that go into trash um, trash bags to look and see if they find anything of value. True. So the prosecutor said this was very premeditated, very thought out, very cold blooded, very systematic. So the prosecution had no trouble showing motive. One of the other investigators, McCain, said, As you walk through the Sims' home, it was very apparent that they had a boy. And that would be normal for a couple, you know? But as you look around the house, there was absolutely no indication whatsoever that they even had a daughter. There weren't any baby pictures. 
there weren't any pictures at all on the tables or on the walls so or sad. anywhere to indicate that they had a baby at all. It was only the baby boy. So Paula Sims was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. McCain. Yeah, right? McCain was like, I think it's a tragic event anytime in society when a parent comes to the point that they are so frustrated for whatever reason that they decide to take the life of one of their children. I can't even fathom. Yeah, no, right? The prosecutor said, anytime you've got the death of two, and he was like, and they're very beautiful, perfect little girls. It's a very sad case. And when you add in the element that the mother killed them, it gets even worse. On the other hand, he's like, on the other hand, justice prevailed. So there Um, wasn't, like, any evidence that he had anything to do with it, like the husband? Yeah, so no charges were filed against him because he denied that he had anything to do with either of the crimes, Lorelai or Heather. But the one investigator was like, there's no doubt in my mind the right person is in prison because she murdered her child. And she was tried by a jury of her peers, and she's now doing life. But when he was asked about Robert Sims, he was like, there's not enough evidence right now, but I haven't forgotten him, and I still have the case file. So I think he's trying to, like, build his case against him because he's like, how the fuck did Robert not know about both of these cases? But yeah, apparently, no way. Yeah, I don't... I don't know if they have enough evidence on him. That's probably what it is. Yeah. But yeah, and that is the super sad story of baby Heather Sims. I called it from the beginning. <laughs> Except technically parent. Yeah, parent. I know. I got it half right. I mean, it's probably parents. Plural. Honestly, but... I think it's both parents. Yeah. But like you said, there's not enough evidence against him. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh my god, that's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Like, poor babies. At least they can't have any more fucking children. And do right? any more baby girls. Why not? If, as soon as you find out you're having a girl, put it up for adoption. Yeah, right? Like, what? I don't know. But don't they say, like, it's the guy that determines the sex or whatever of the baby? I've, maybe. I think so. So, like... It's your fucking fault, dude. Why are you punishing the mom and the baby, like... For real. (laughs) Not that it's, like, a conscious decision, but I swear people say that it's the guy. No, because, like... Isn't it they carry the Y chromosome? Dude, I I don't know. I think. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I'm not not an expert in... And I can't remember that far back to ninth grade science. <laughs> no, me either. For real. Oh my god, that's so sad. Oh, yeah. And welcome back. And that lovely ad. Thank you, Megan. It was life changing. <laughs> oh my god, I'm still really annoyed by that case. That was good though. Thanks, but I apologize for it now being in your brain. <laughs> right. But all right, so it is my turn. Mm-hmm. So mine is, of course, I need to stop <laughs> watching this because it gets me all stressed out. But it's another "Fear Thy Neighbor" Ooh, okay episode. Megan, um, yes. I can't handle a "Fear Thy Neighbor." <laughs> later, I'll tell you why. I mean, you already know, but listeners, later I will tell you why I can't handle <laughs> "Fear Thy Neighbors," but not at the present moment. <laughs> Right. Well, this is season two, episode seven, and the name of the episode is Home Bloody Home. Oh, like Home okay. Sweet Home, Home Bloody mm-hmm. Home. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. That's so funny because I have a, I got it at Halloween. I haven't put it up yet, but it's like this vinyl thing and it says Home Sweet Haunted Home. But I made my own letters and words for like the other season or like the other holidays so it'll be like home sweet jolly home some home sweet like hoppy home and so I change it for every holiday home sweet American home for fourth of July I can't remember what I did for fourth of July 
when I put it up, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, I can't wait. <laughs> All right, so we are in 1984, Toulon, Illinois. Okay, wait. Mine was 89, right? We are in the same goddamn decade. Look at that. Twin oh, telepathy. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we've been doing that all yesterday. Okay, so yeah. when we were hanging out at her house and they were all talking about work and whatnot, they would use, like, abbreviated terms. In my mind, I'd be like, I wonder what that means. And then she would, like, lean over and be like, oh, this means da 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 I was like, how the fuck did you know I was just thinking that? You really freaked me out when you were doing that because it was every single time. <laughs> well, okay, just so for everyone, um, basically everyone besides, like, Megan, my brother, and Tyler um, all work in the DA's office with me, um, either victim witness people or attorneys. So we were using, like, legal terms, like, IDSI and all this stuff. And I'm like, if I didn't know what this was, I would want someone to explain it to me. So I'd be like, oh, it's like in, in, so yeah. Dude, it was, it it freaked me out. I was like, (laughs) get out of my head. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, Toulon, Illinois. It's a small town where everyone knows each other and was described as like the typical all American safe town. Again, with the fucking All-Americans. I know. Apparently, don't be All-American or something bad will happen. You know. Yeah. Don't be All-American. <laughs> and don't live a happy life. Yes, exactly. Because it's be always miserable. the perfect family. <laughs> yes. So we've got Kurt and Virginia Thompson. They lived there as long as anyone in the town can remember. Virginia was a bus driver. Specifically, one of the characters in the story, Sean, who's the son um, she was his bus driver. Okay. Kurt worked in the coal mine. Uh, he was known for being a hardworking man who worked for everything he had in his life. His father died when he was young, and he ended up dropping out of high school um, to be able to provide for his family. Being super young, like, that's got to be super stressful. Yeah, seriously. People say they don't think he had many friends, but mm-hmm. he did spend a majority of his childhood working on the farm. He was also described as a lone wolf. Mm. Kurt and Virginia were high school sweethearts. If you were a friend of Kurt's, he would do almost anything for you. Someone mentioned to Kurt that his daughter was sick and it was around Christmas time. So Kurt took it upon himself to show up at their front door dressed as Santa to cheer her up, which is like so sweet. Yes, really. So, also, side note, didn't you, was it you or who said that they had a dream that it was like Tom Cruise dressed up as Santa? No, 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 no. (laughs) That was real. That was yesterday when you guys were talking about Tom Cruise. I was like, so I was on a trip in Hawaii and me and my friends were on the beach and we see this guy, the Santa, walking past and we got a picture of him and if you look at the picture it was kind of far away but mm-hmm. like you could see like the the main features of his face like his nose was crooked like to the side mm-hmm. exactly like Tom Cruise's like same bone structure and the cheeks and everything he was just dressed up as Santa and we screamed hey Tom Cruise and he looked yeah. over so we are like convinced yeah that, that was him I believe it's him and I wasn't <laughs> there I believe it right oh my gosh tying everything together right (laughs) so on the other side of the street from Kurt and Virginia Thompson lived Jim and Janet Giesenhagen with their 10 year old son Sean they built their house from the ground up real close to Jim's mom Ardell Jim and Janet were a loving family and was involved with their church just known to be like really good people like in general Mm -hmm. Sean became super close with Kurt's dog and would always play with him like across the street though Jim and Janet weren't really friends with Kurt they always were cordial and friendly towards each other Uh, just neighbors being neighbors Mm -hmm. so Jim he opened a repair shop in town and they said he was a jack of all trades Okay. If you had something that needed to be fixed, 
he would most likely be able to fix it, no matter what it was. Joe Tracy became really close with Jim, and they worked together. So it was like, perfect. He's working with his close friend. Mm-hmm. When Jim wasn't working at the store, he would be home with Sean. Um, family time was extremely important to him. Like, family came mm-hmm. first, always. However, when Jim got home from the coal mine, he'd just want to relax, which totally makes sense because I can imagine that that is a very intense job to work. Yeah. So, all seemed right with the neighborhood and all got along. That was until 1986. Sean was playing with Kurt's dog as usual, but he said he thinks he got a little too, like, in his face and ended up getting bitten by the dog. And Sean was bitten in the face, like, on his cheek, Mm -hmm. and ended up needing more special attention to it, meaning multiple doctor evaluations, so, like, the bills were insane. Mm -hmm. They thought Kurt should reimburse them for the expenses, Mm -hmm. which, honestly, to me... Like, if that was my dog and it bit someone, I'd be like, I'll cover everything. Like, I am so sorry, kind of thing. What state are they in again? Illinois. I feel like you would have to check their, like, dog bite statutes. Right. Because um, I know, like, from, like, what I learned in law school, it, like, depends. Like, sometimes you have to, if you knew the dog was, like, vicious and so, like, you were, like, on notice of this, then... Like, you might, like, be um, liable or, but I think it would depend. So, I don't, I don't know. I obviously did not study Illinois law. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. But Kurt didn't agree with this. He said that his dog was on his property, so he shouldn't need to pay it. So, this sparked a massive vendetta to Kurt with the yeah. family. Did they put the dog down because of that? I'm getting there. Oh, God. I know. The Geese and Higgins filed a civil lawsuit for damages asking for $15,000 against Mm -hmm. Kurt. And the judge ended up siding with Kurt, mainly because the dog was on his property. Yeah. They weren't happy, but they decided to move on. Yeah. However, Kurt wasn't. He ended up having to put the dog down because of the bite, which is... When it's the fucking human's fucking fault and the dog gets fucking punished. To be fair, like, Sean was super young, so, like, you can't really blame him, but also, it's important to, like, teach your kids not all dogs are super friendly. Like, you need to ask the owner, you need to Mm -hmm. be careful if it's a dog that you aren't familiar with. Yeah, because, like, if some little kid got up in my face, like, I'm not going to bite him because I'm a human, but I'd be like, yo, get the fuck out of my face. Right. But they obviously can't fucking talk. Right. And so the kid probably just didn't, like, read the cues of the dog, you know? Yeah. Kurt started constantly following Jim through town and glaring at him mm-hmm. um, and was just always in a constant state of rage. Mm-hmm. He would lash out and threaten anyone in town. There's multiple stories of him assaulting people and, you know, those people that travel, like, door-to-door selling things. He mm-hmm. would, like, chase them, like, blocks down the street. So, like, just, he was... Yeah, like, just chill out. His high horse for a while, for yeah. from then on. Like, I guess I can understand why you follow around, like, that family who, like, wronged you, but, like, random people, like... Even then, it's, like... I don't, like, don't follow people. Like, if you don't like people, you don't like people, but... Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) That's basically, that's stalking. Yeah. If you're just, like, constantly following people. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the community as a whole would just avoid him out of Mm -hmm. fear being put next on his hate list. Yeah. As he got more aggressive, the less anyone would see his wife, Virginia. Like, she kind of just, like... Mm. Yeah. Like, faded mm-hmm. away. <laughs> Into the background. Yeah. Nope. Don't mind me. I'm not associated with him. <laughs> right. So, as time went on, Janet grew to be extremely frightened of Kurt. 
how it is in their neighborhood, everyone's mailboxes were all, like, together in, like, little, you know, cubbies with, like, a lock kind of thing. Okay. And the mailboxes just so happened to be placed right outside of Kurt's house. Oh, shit. Right? So Janet was five months pregnant and went to get the mail, and Kurt came running out with a baseball bat, chasing her to scare her back to her house. Like, extremely unnecessary. She's pregnant. Like, what the fuck? How was he, like, not charged with that? Well, so, at that point, Jim and Janet, Mm -hmm. they were contemplating filing charges, but they didn't want to poke the bear, like, further from the first incident that they had. Mm -hmm. So, in 1991... Jim and Janet gave birth to their daughter, Ashley. Ashley said growing up that she knew Kurt was this weird guy that lived across the street and to stay away from him. Mm -hmm. She was always told that when he was around, she was to go inside and not talk to him. No one knew what he was capable of, and they were afraid that he might do something to her or hurt her. Mm -hmm. 13 years after the dog bite, so 13, like, this is, this is a yeah. long way away. Or from then. And, like, mm-hmm. his anger's just festering. Like, just let it go, man. Like, I know. You're just, like, fucking yourself at that point, too. Like, it, it only got worse. Yeah. He was fired from his job at the coal mine a total of nine times. But they had him uh, rehired eight. Because he knew the union contract better than the union knew it and better than the company officials knew it. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Sean was moved out, but Kurt would track him down. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the son. Um, He would track him down at his local job. He worked at a grocery store and was a cart pusher. And Kurt would just follow him in his truck, like, behind him constantly. He always had to watch what he said around his coworkers because Virginia ended up working there at this point. Hmm. Like, go figure. I don't know if that was him, like, work here kind of thing. I mean, definitely. I could see it. Yeah. With someone, like, being that psychotic at this point. Yeah. 13 fucking years later, yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Like, no. Did. <laughs> right. Things continued to escalate. When Ashley was in fourth grade, her mom was walking her to the bus stop. Mm -hmm. And they went to cross the road and Kurt nearly ran them over. Like, he just blew through the stop sign. So Janet wanted to move, but Jim didn't want to leave his mom. Mm -hmm. Since his mom lived right there, she's also, like, associated with the family. Therefore, Kurt's not a fan. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to stand their ground and keep Ashley safe. Since that incident, they'd driven Ashley to school. And Kurt would end up following them. What the fuck? Right? Freak. At this point, Ardell had enough, uh, Jim's mom, and she stood up to Kurt, telling him to stay away from her family. Mm -hmm. And Kurt wasn't used to people standing up to him, and he responded saying that he was going to kill them. So at this point, they had what they needed to go to police. Like, they had a direct threat. Yeah. And Ardell writes a statement saying, quote, How long are we going to allow one man to terrorize the community? I just keep praying for our safety and for the right thing to be done. Stop this nonsense before someone gets hurt bad or killed, end quote. Yeah. But again, they weren't able to get any help. Um, They took the complaints to the state attorney and they did nothing. Because they didn't have, like, any evidence of it. Yeah. They just had him saying it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, there wasn't a recording or anything. It was just hearsay. Yeah. Um, They were told to stay in their own yard and avoid him like they told everyone else. Yeah. So they were hopeless at this point. Jim was a black belt in karate, but he knew Kurt had weapons. So... 
he was like reluctant to kind of like stand up to him yeah i mean everyone was you didn't know what he was gonna do Mm -hmm. this is 13 years after an incident and he's still very much bothered yeah but as i mentioned it wasn't just janet and jim that were getting the brunt of the abuse Mm -hmm. um he was also going after jim's friend and co-worker joe tracy um, in the southern part of Stark County, Joe Tracy was in his car and he passed Kurt Thompson. So Thompson followed him and then passed uh, Joe's van and pulled his truck across the road as to like, so like Joe couldn't pass mm-hmm. and Joe wasn't one to back down and Kurt got out of the truck with a hammer. So like Joe got out like, what the fuck's your problem, man? Yeah. And Kurt walks out with this hammer, so he, like, runs back into his truck and, like, was able to yes. get out of there. Again, Kurt followed him for miles before bailing. Like, how? That's terrifying. Right. Like, the amount of anxiety that would come from that. Yeah. Joe reported to the sheriff and pressed charges for assault. The sheriff arrested Kurt at his home and everyone believed like this would be the end of it. However, the Kurt only found him guilty of a misdemeanor assault and he was fined $116 plus court costs and was on probation for 24 months. Hmm. Like slap on the wrist if I've heard one. Yeah. He was ordered to have no contact with um, the Geese and Hagen family and no contact with joe tracy because clearly like it's escalating at the same time maybe that's all that they could give for that misdemeanor yeah and like throughout the episode it sucks because like everything they're bringing up is is all like hearsay there wasn't any video evidence there wasn't any evidence period and it sucks because they were like we were all by ourselves and it's like you could tell that these officers wanted mm-hmm. to do more, but, like, legally they couldn't. Yeah. And it's, like, 1989. Did you even have, like, a camera that you could put up? Right. Like, you know, like, right now you could just, like, buy, like, you know, your ring doorbell or whatever. Right. Exactly. But to Kurt, the restraining order meant nothing. It just made his hate fester mm-hmm. even more. He would circle their houses constantly with his truck every single night just staring at them. And they said, like, his stare was, like, Mm -hmm. terrifying. So, Ashley remembers being angry and scared because a lot of the time she wanted to go hang out at her friends. um, But it was, like, past his house and she wasn't allowed to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she just remembers she was super upset. She was, like, this fucking psychotic guy. Mm -hmm. So... They start taking matters into their own hands. Uh, Jim installs a security camera on their garage. So they did have, like, okay, probably, like, really shitty ones. But mm-hmm. they caught Kurt driving up and down the road. But, again, police couldn't do anything because he technically wasn't breaking a law. Like, he was driving on the road. Yeah, and he lives right there, too, so. Right. They were angry that police weren't doing anything, but Sean thinks it's because they, the police were afraid to do something hmm. with how Kurt's reputation is. Again, it's a small town. Everyone mm-hmm. knows who he is. Well, almost everyone. Yeah. We'll get there. They were frustrated because they knew Kurt was escalating. Yeah. So March 22nd, 2002. So we're in the 2000s now. Mm-hmm. Jim and Janet were supposed to go with Joe and his wife, Tracy, for pizza. They did this every Friday evening. However, Janet had a cold, so they decided to stay in and watch movies and just hang out. Okay. Everything was quiet and everything was normal. However, across the road, a squad car from the Stark County Sheriff's Office pulled up to Kurtz. 23-year-old Adam Stryker is on duty. Uh, He's a new deputy sheriff who's only been on the job a few months. He knew from a young age that he wanted to be in the police force. He loved it. He loved helping people. And Mm -hmm. everyone loved him. People said it wasn't a big deal to get pulled over by Deputy Stryker 
because he was always very nice and polite. Mm -hmm. Adam was the only deputy on duty for the whole county, and he saw a few warrants that needed to be delivered. One of the outstanding warrants had been buried in the file of the sheriff's office for over five months. Oh. I know. Kurt Thompson still didn't pay his hundred-some dollar fine for his threats against Joe Tracy. And Kurt ended up failing to appear in court, so the judge issued a warrant for his arrest. Mm-hmm. Adam didn't know Kurt or any of like the prior history. He just showed up to do his job. Mm-hmm. So... Stryker knocked on the door, and Kurt came to answer, and Stryker told him that there was a warrant and that he was under arrest. Kurt backed up into the house and grabbed a sawed-off shotgun and fired it at point-blank range, killing Adam instantly. (gasps) He kicked Adam to make sure he was dead and then took Adam's 9mm handgun and got in the squad car. What the fuck? I know. Like this, he was just doing his fucking job. Yeah. Ashley said that she remembers her dad needing something in the basement. So Mm -hmm. she went down to help him. And all of a sudden she heard this loud crack. So Kurt went across the street. He kicks down the door, shooting Janet. And then goes down the stairs finding Jim and Ashley. Kurt shoots Jim, killing him almost instantly right in front of Ashley, who is, keep in mind, 10 years old at this time. She remembers that he had this blank, emotionless expression on his face. And then he turned around and went back up the stairs and left. She said she remembers seeing her dad laying there and knew her father most likely wasn't going to wake up with how much blood there was Mm -hmm. and that he wasn't moving. Like, at that age, she was like, I knew that he wasn't going to wake up. Yeah. So she runs upstairs to find her mom on the floor in the kitchen, still barely alive. She said she remembers her lying there, and she was trying to talk to her to keep her conscious. Mm -hmm. Her mom asked for a pillow, and she went and grabbed it for her and then called her grandma for help after shooting jim and janet kurt got back into the squad car and left the lights flashing before driving um around town he drove through the alley behind joe tracy's house but thankfully they weren't home so he didn't get them but within minutes they tracked down the car and boxed it in and kurt starts firing at the responding officers Mm -hmm. And it's, like I said, small town, so they were able to get him pretty quick. Yeah. So, um, they shot back at him until they didn't hear anything, and they were worried that Kurt was playing dead. They then rushed the car and pulled Kurt out from behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. So, wait, he was still alive or he was dead? Well, he was still alive. Okay. So, Kurt and Janet were both life-flighted to a near hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet suffered a gunshot blast to the upper chest, but when she was shot, she had thrown her left hand up to try to, uh, protect herself, Mm -hmm. but the shot had gone through her wrist, virtually severing her hand from her wrist. Jesus. Unfortunately, Kurt was the only injured passenger to survive. Janet was dead upon arrival at the hospital, which is absolutely devastating yeah sean said the first cop he saw he looked at him and said i hope you're happy this is all your fault his blame was completely on the police department and i mean like you can't blame him but it's also hard because you can't blame the police department because they were doing all they could like legally that they could do you know what i mean oh so kurt was saying because you never stopped me before yeah this is your fault got it no it wasn't kurt it was sean that said this to the first officer he saw oh yeah i missed that yeah he was he was pissed off because like his family went through this and they were trying to tell them that it was escalating yeah and i mean they legally couldn't do anything yeah so kurt thompson 
faced three counts of first-degree murder. Throughout the trial, he would stare at the family, and anytime he'd look at his wife, Virginia, he would give her a thumbs up saying he was going to get okay, he was going to, like, everything was going to be okay, he would get out. Um, I'm assuming this is a jury trial, and as a juror, I'd be like, why the fuck are you staring this family down? Like, not right. a good look. Not right. a good look. He should have been tried to get a bench trial. <laughs> right. But his insanity plea fell flat. Yeah. He's found guilty of all the homicides and was sentenced to death. Okay. When the judge sentenced Kurt to death, all of the family members, the Giesenhagens and the Strikers, all stood together giving Kurt a big thumbs up saying you didn't get away with it. I love it. Which like gives me like goosebumps like I love that energy yeah. for them. After the trial, Virginia was diagnosed with terminal cancer and ended up dying in 2008. Kurt, on death row, received the news of her death and two days later hung himself in his jail cell. Piece of shit. I know. This was, like, super frustrating for the families involved Mm -hmm. because they wanted to see justice for their family members that were brutally murdered. Yeah. But... That's the case of Jim, Janet, Giesenhagen, and Adam Stryker. Hmm. So super sad. Yeah, and those poor kids Uh have no parents now. Yeah. No, and it was so sad because at the end of the episode, Ashley was sitting there and she was like, I just wish they could meet my son. Like, it, it hurt. It hurt. Yeah. Fuck. I wonder yeah. if the if the dad didn't have to go in the basement, if it would have been like a different outcome, because you know he would have been up there when this when Kurt came in, right? And, maybe and being a black belt, yeah, because like you're down in your basement and you don't like hear someone come in, you're not like on guard, you know? Right. You just turn around and you see this person staring at you yeah. with a big shotgun. But I mean, I bet he's super glad that. It was him that was shot and not her. Oh, yeah. But also, at the same time, I'm like, if I were there, I'd be like, no, shoot me instead. No, I know. But, like, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Wow. Super upsetting. Yeah. I need to stop watching that show, but, like, they're so good. But it also, like, ruins your view on people. Yeah. It's like, I'm never talking to my neighbors. (laughs) No. No, no, no. Oh, those were two doozies. Yeah. Super sad. Yeah. But so that we can end on a good note, is there anything fun on your horizon? Fun is a loose term for what's going <laughs> to happen to me this week. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be 14 again. <laughs> I'm getting braces to undo what I got done the first time. And I'm excited for the end result because, you know, the glow up's going to be A1. But yeah, the chunk of money that's coming out of my account's going to hurt because braces is not fucking cheap. Yeah. So, um, how long are you <laughs> going to have to keep them on, do they think? 18 months. So, which is better because the first time I got them, I had them for five years. Like, bless so. your soul. I had mine for, I think, two years or something. Yeah. It was super odd sitting in the uh, waiting room because all the kids that came in were, like, 20. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, oh, my God. But, yeah. So, I don't have, like, an adult tooth next to my two main teeth. Mm-hmm. So, like... When I got braces the first time, they, like, took moved all my teeth forward. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've shifted. And also, like, my midline for my teeth doesn't match up. So, they mm-hmm. just got to do a whole bunch of work. And 18 months is not a long yeah. time to do that much movement. So, I'm going to be in pain. Yeah. <laughs> but it's only a year and a half. Yeah. So, I just got to keep thinking of that end result. So, I'm excited, but not excited. I'm pretty sure I'm, like, the only person on the planet that hopes that masks are still a thing a year and a half from now. (laughs) The moment I get my braces off, it's like, okay, everyone can stop wearing masks. Oh, my God, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, 
yeah too bad you didn't get them put on like last year i know that's what i was saying but at the same time it's like no one knew what was gonna happen true very true so it sucks but because originally i made the appointment it was supposed to be for june 22nd Mm mm-hmm and I got a call the other day, and she was like, hey, so we're adding another day to our schedule. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to come in on May 8th to get the braces? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. I wasn't mentally prepared for two weeks. Yeah. I was mentally prepared for the end of the month. Right. Like, or, the, like, two months. Yeah, yeah. So, but the sooner it gets done, the sooner they come off. So yeah. that's how I'm seeing it. But what about you? What's your upper for the week? Um, ooh, on Thursday, I get my second shot. That's so exciting. I know. I'm so excited for you. I, know. I hope, like, you don't get, like, sick. Dude. I hope it's, like, like, me that I was just tired. Yeah. Um, I swapped out. <laughs> I made one of my one of the other attorneys because I was like if I can't be here on Friday like normally I do the guilty plea stuff and I was like um just in preparation of me possibly like being dead on Friday do you all want to do this for me he was like this was Ian and he was like yes Jaden I guess I guess I'll help you I was like thanks I love that I can put faces to the names now yeah and, oh, Ian. and now you know like the attitude that he gave me because yes. you know him Oh my god. He was harassing you playing can jamming. I know. I'm so I'm, so mad. We need to I'm so mad we lost. We were so close. No. We just like choked at the end apparently. We did. But everyone was watching, so it was a bunch of stage fright. That's also what I'm it on. Because we were doing fine when no one was watching us. I know. Next time. Next time, for sure. We'll practice. And it'll yes. be fucking golden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I think. Oh. I don't think we did this the last time. So. Our Instagram is a little thing called murder. Twitter is ALTC murder. Um, email us at a little thing called murder at gmail.com. Leave us five stars on Apple podcast. Can you think of anything else? Um, no, just, like, send us, like, any of your fun stories you have or that you want us to cover. Yes. And with that, we will see you next week. And don't forget to trust your gut. Because it's better to be fucking safe than fucking sorry. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. You guys have a wonderful week. We yes. love you. We love you. <laughs> Bye. Okay, bye.